Daniel chapter 8, beginning in verse 23, And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding, dark sentences shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper in practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. And he shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. And the vision of the evening and the morning which was told is true. Wherefore shut up thou the vision, for it shall be for many days. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days. Afterward I rose up and did the king's business. And I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at things that are going to take place in these last days. Mostly we have concentrated on what's going to happen to those of us who are saved. We've seen very clearly that when the Lord returns, first of all, the dead in Christ are going to rise. And then we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up. We're going to be taken up. We're going to be given those glorified bodies. And don't you look forward to that? And we're going to then, and I think we ought to look forward to this more than maybe even the glorified body, we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. And we'll be with him for eternity. Sadly, we've seen that those who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior will be left here on this earth. They will be left here to endure that time of tribulation that's coming upon the earth, seven years of tribulation that will come upon the earth and its inhabitants. And that ought to sadden us. In Daniel, the eighth chapter, Daniel is given a vision of coming history. Okay, that's what prophecy is. It is history written in advance. And so Daniel is given a vision of things that are going to happen. Some of the things that are named here are certainly a picture of the Antichrist who is coming on the scene and he is going to have great power. But get this, the vision was so disturbing to Daniel that what does he say? He said, I was sick. Have you ever heard a message that just troubled you so much it made you ill? Maybe for other people. But you see, Daniel saw this and he says in the 27th verse, he said, none understood it, but it was a vision of things to come. And so he was ill. Today, we who are God's people are seeing things happen in our world, folks, that if they don't make us physically ill, they ought to at least make us heart sick. We're seeing things happen in our nation some things that I never dreamed I would see happen in America. We are seeing perversion just presented openly and without shame. We're seeing crime and crime just, I don't know what the figures say, but it just seems it keeps increasing all of the time. You know, I never dreamed, I grew up here and I never dreamed that we would, but we've seen this over the last few years, just during the middle of the day or late in the afternoon, people out in a parking lot because two people are shooting at each other somewhere else get shot and die. Greed. Greed not just among people in general, but greed in business and greed in government. 
We've seen the killing of the innocent. And right now I'm talking about babies who are killed by abortion just because men and women want to commit fornication, but they don't want to deal with the fruits of their committing of fornication. We've seen mothers who have no love for their children. And we have seen fathers who are abusive both physically and mentally to their children. Folks, that ought to, ought to make us sad at least, if not sick to our stomachs. We've seen a general refusal to acknowledge the existence of Almighty God. I don't know. I don't read statistics. I don't know that you can get a statistic on this. But it seems to me we're raising right now a generation that when they become adults, the vast majority of them won't even believe in God. They don't have parents who take them to church to teach them about God. You can't talk about God in the schoolhouse. You can't have anything about God in the courthouse because that might influence somebody. Seems like the only place children are going to learn about God today is if mom and dad take them to church and get them under the Word of God. We're seeing terrorism on an unprecedented scale aimed primarily at God's chosen people, Israel, or anybody who supports them. Amen. And we're seeing the filth of Hollywood paraded before us and brought right into our homes by way of the television. And we have seen the people who produce and participate in it treated almost like gods and goddesses. And then we're seeing things in the Lord's churches that ought to similarly affect us. We're seeing people who profess to have been saved by the blood of the only begotten Son of God forsake the Savior, forsake his churches, and even forsake God himself. Just turn their backs on God. We're seeing a lack of faithfulness to Bible study. I don't want to ask how many spent time in Bible study this week. You know, sometimes we preachers are afraid to ask certain questions. We don't want hands raised because we don't want to be disappointed. See, my opinion of you is you're just, you're just great Bible scholars studying at home every night. I don't want to ask who has and, and who hasn't. We've seen an abandonment of prayer and certainly a faithful church attendance. Again, all you have to do is look around you to see that verified. We're seeing entire churches for the sake of just a few and possibly even unregenerate members. What do you mean by that? Well, trying to get folks in to be a part of the church, to join the church before they're even saved. Listen, you can't truly be a part of one of the Lord's churches without first knowing Jesus Christ as Savior. But well, we've seen churches that want to get people in for the sake of numbers, and some of them, and I heard one preacher of one particular group of Baptists say that, one of the worst things that ever happened to his group, and he named the program they had. He said, because when we wanted to do that, when we set out to do that, we wanted to get people into our churches. It didn't matter whether they were saved or not. And now that group of Baptists are going far afield of many times of the Word of God. And we've seen churches and church members turn their backs on the faith that was once and for all times delivered unto the saints. We're seeing today the Bible, for lack of a better term, retranslated, okay, to appeal to this modern generation. And we're seeing the old hymns which we sing here and which we just sang. We've seen those old hymns that appealed to the spirit more than the flesh being abandoned. 
even in the Lord's churches. To the generation that wants to change the Word of God, let me say something. I shared this on my Facebook the other day. God is not going to rewrite the Bible for your generation. Stop trying to change Scripture. The Scripture was written to change you. I had a Greek professor in seminary that just said this, and I loved it. It stayed with me all of these years. He said, just let the Bible say what it wants to say. Read the Word of God. Take it in. And if it convicts you and condemns you, change, not the Word of God. Change yourself. And then choruses. Choruses have replaced hymns, haven't they? And we may sing them and get all dreamy-eyed about tomorrow when we're singing them, but those old hymns presented scriptural lessons, presented scriptural teaching to us as we sang those old hymns. And with all that's going on, it'd get real easy for a child of God to start thinking about heaven, wouldn't it? Man, it's going to be great to go to heaven. And it is. It's going to be great to go to heaven. Lord, come get me out of this. And all of those things that we might think when we look at the condition our world and our nation and the Lord's churches are in today. But you know, that's not what we ought to be doing. Gabriel revealed to Daniel the meaning of the vision in verses 16 through 27 that he had had. And Daniel, when he heard the meaning of the vision, what did he say? I'll repeat it. He said he was sick. He fainted, first of all, and was sick certain days. And not only was he ill for a few days, after he went back to work, what did he say there? He said he continued to be astonished. That word astonished has the idea of being greatly troubled at the vision. You know, I'm afraid if Daniel had been an average believer today, he'd have just wanted to pull the covers back up over his head and say, I'm not getting out in this. This message centers on eight words in the 27th verse of this 8th chapter of Daniel. Eight words. And you know what those words are? I rose up and did the king's business. Daniel heard about the coming of the end. And it made him sick. It astonished him. It troubled him greatly. But in the position that he was in and where he was, he said, I had something else I had to do. And so I just rose up and I did the king's business. When I thought of those words, I thought of what Jesus said to Mary and Joseph. Remember when Jesus was about 12, they went to Jerusalem for the Passover. They start back home and Jesus isn't with them. And they go back to Jerusalem and they find Jesus teaching the teachers at age 12. Well, he knew the Bible because he wrote it, right? They find Jesus teaching the teachers and they ask him something about why he tarried and why he didn't come with them. And what was his response? Wish you not or knew you not or know you not that I must be about my father's business. I must be about my father's business. I rose up and did the king's business. Now listen, we know Jesus is going to return. We don't know when. I can tell you of a certainty Jesus is coming back. Don't ask me for a date. If I give you one, don't believe me. Okay? No man knows. You know, and, and then I do this every once in a while. Well, I can tell you when Jesus is coming back, exactly when Jesus is coming back, when God says it's time. And that's as close as I can get, Okay? We know that those who are left behind, as I said earlier, will face a terrible time of tribulation. God has given this information to us 
But folks, are we really doing anything with it? That's the point of this message this morning. God's people today need to get up and we need to get out and we need to do the king's business. Amen. Now, I'm not talking about the king that Daniel was talking about. I'm talking about the king of kings. And I'm talking about the Lord of lords. You say, well, what is the king's business? Well, just look at Matthew chapter 28. Verse 18, Jesus said that all power, that's the word for authority, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then he said what? Go ye therefore and teach or disciple all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And then he said, Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world or the consummation of the age. Now somebody has pointed out, and I like this, just note in those verses, verses 19 and 20, that go and lo, go together. Go and lo, I am with you. It's my humble belief that in the last 40 to 50 years, Many of the Lord's churches have forgotten our purpose, this particular purpose of our being here on this earth. A business type of bigger is better mentality seems to invaded our thinking. And so for that reason, many churches, again, seem to exist for the sake of numbers. Listen, I would love to have this sanctuary, and that's what it is to me, it's you can call it an auditorium. You can call it that other room or whatever. <laughs> the pest man was here the other day and he said something about that. I left the lights on in that other room because I didn't know how to turn them out. Well, he's not a Baptist, you see. He didn't understand. But this is a sanctuary. You can call it whatever you want to call it. But we gather here to study the Word of God. And I would love to see this sanctuary filled with people. But I can't get them all in myself. There are churches that seem to think that being bigger just makes everything we do okay. You know, if we get big enough, we can do whatever we want to do, and the Lord would just have to bless it. It's sort of the ends justifies the means attitude. And that's certainly not right. But our Lord has given us a command to follow, and he has told us how to follow, or he has shown us in his word how to follow that command. You know what a New Testament church is supposed to be? It is supposed to be a disciple-making body. Amen. We don't exist so we can say, look here, I pastored one church that was so proud that they'd been around X number of years. But if you're around 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years, and you're not bringing people to Christ, why are you there? Amen. We're not here to make the world feel better about itself. And I think there's some that think that. What did the Lord say we're to do in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? We're to go into all the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And we're to take the message, the gospel message into all the world. See, if we really believe the, last, the messages from the last couple of weeks, that those who are saved are going to ascend and the dead in Christ shall rise first, but those which are not saved are going to be left here on this earth. If we really believe that and there's somebody that we care about, we ought to be witnessing to them and we ought to be praying that God would convict their hearts. And Jesus told us how to make disciples. 
And that's what we're going to see in this message this morning as we go about the king's business. First of all, for lack of a better term, there's what I call the making of disciples. And the first step in making a disciple is what? Making disciples is the entirety of the work. All right? We understand that. A disciple is not just an adherent. A disciple is not someone who just says, well, I, I like him. You know, I like his personality. I like what he says. You know what a disciple does? What a disciple says? I want to be just like my master. I want to think like him, walk like him, live like him. I want to be like the master. And so you can't make a disciple out of somebody that's not saved. Right? Somebody that's not saved cannot be like Jesus. So that's our first step, bringing people to Christ. I don't know whether to call it steps. I hate to call it steps. I hate to separate the, and you can't separate the Great Commission. It's one commission, but it, what do you want to call it, phases or whatever you want to call it. There's three things we must do to keep this one commission. And the first thing is bring people to know Christ the Savior. Verse 19 in Matthew 28, Jesus said what? Go ye. Go. See, when you go, you're not sitting still and staying right where you are. When you go, you have to make a move. And so the operative word here is go. Now, we understand, and I'm sure you've heard this in messages before, the idea here when Jesus says, go ye therefore, what he's literally saying is, in your going, as you go, wherever you go, Whoever you're around, when you go, just as you go day in and day out, talking about our day-to-day -day activities, he says, you are to be witnesses daily. As God opens the door, as God gives opportunity, we are to tell people about Jesus Christ. Now, you notice what he did not say. Jesus did not say, stay where you are and get them to come to you, right? But that's what churches want to do today, isn't it? Hey, we've got a sign out here. We've got a web page. We have a Facebook group and we have a Facebook page. If anybody wants to come here, let them come to us. No, Jesus said, go ye therefore. Churches spend a lot of time and energy today trying to figure out ways to entice people to come to them. Very opposite of what the Lord told us to do, taking the gospel into the world. As we pass through this world, again, everybody we meet along the way should hear about Jesus Christ from each and every one of us. I don't know why God's people are so resistant to do what Jesus said to do. Is he our master? Is he our Lord? See, some folks just want Jesus as Savior. They don't want him to be Lord of their lives. They don't want him to rule over everything in their lives. But a lot of people just don't want to do what the Word of God tells us to do. And instead of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, modern believers won't even take it to the end of the street Amen. or across the street. We won't complain about our neighbors. Have you ever thought that maybe your neighbor needs to know Christ as Savior? Listen to these statistics. 95% of all believers have never led a soul to Christ. 95% have never led anybody to the Lord. 80% of believers do not consistently witness, if they witness at all. And less than 2% of church members 
are involved in evangelism. Now you just think not about our total membership, but the number of our members that show up on a given Sunday, and you take 2% of that and you figure out how many are witnessing on average by statistics. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15 shows us that witnessing of Christ involves our lips. Listen to what Mark chapter 16 and verse 15 says. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and do what? And preach the gospel to every creature. And somebody will say, see there, preacher, that means it's the preachers that are supposed to witness. No, that's not what Jesus was saying. Yes, as God gives pastors and preachers opportunities to witness, they ought to witness. We witness publicly when we stand in a pulpit and preach the word of God. But he wasn't speaking just to preacher. That word preach has the idea of proclaim, announce publicly, herald. This verb is present tense, it is active voice, and it is imperative. You know what that means? Well, first of all, imperative is a command. The Lord said to me and said to you, proclaim the gospel. Now, that's a direct command from the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Boy, y'all are awfully quiet this morning. I don't know if I've struck a nerve or if everybody's asleep or what. But a direct command from the Lord is preach the word. Present tense and active voice means do it continually. Every opportunity. It ought to just become the habit of our lives to tell people about Jesus Christ. We are to be pointing people to the Lord, not pointing people away from the Lord. And there's a lot of saved folks that are pointing, or profess to be saved, that are pointing people away from the Lord today. It means that we have absolutely no option in this matter of witnessing. Preach the gospel. Share Jesus. It involves our lips. But you look back to Matthew, and you're going to find out in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, it involves our lives also. Look at verse 13 of Matthew chapter 5. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden underfoot of men. I feel like I'm an expert on salt because I'm a saltaholic. I love salt. Sometimes the salt, you know, if I tell you something's too salty, trust me. Okay. But what does salt do? Well, salt gives flavor. Salt preserves. Sometimes salt irritates, doesn't it? Ever get salt in a cut? We're the salt of the earth. But here's something else salt does. Salt creates thirst. How about eating a big bag of salty popcorn? See, I'm going to try to make you thirsty now, see? And the thirst that you have afterwards. See, what we are supposed to do as salt is to create a thirst in the lives of other people for what we have, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. And if our lives are not creating that thirst, folks, we've lost our saltiness. And what did Jesus say salt that had lost its saltiness is good for? Absolutely. Just throw it out. on. Let men walk on it. And that's what's happening to the Lord's churches today. And then Jesus said, you are the light of the world. In verse 14, 
You're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We cannot have a strong witness for Christ if our lives are sending mixed signals about our profession of faith in Christ. If our lives are causing people to wonder, if our lives deny the message of our lips, it's real easy to talk about Jesus. I mean, I go to the store, and again, for Brother Dennis's sake, Albertsons. I don't know when the last time I was in there, but you know. And check out, and the lady checking me out or the men checking me out might say, have a blessed day. Well, that sounds good, but what do you mean have a blessed day? Do you just mean have a not so bad day or what? See, I know they can't witness there at Albertsons or, or anywhere else for that matter while they're on the clock. But what I'm saying is it's easy to use the terms of salvation and witnessing and, and all of those things just casually. But if it's coming out of our lips, it ought to be displayed in our lives. Amen. You don't light a candle and put a cover over it. One time at church camp, I remember this from years ago. One time at church camp, somebody slipped into the dorms where some of the preachers were staying. And this particular preacher, they painted his light bulb black. He walked into his room, flipped on the switch, and it's still darkness. Well, you don't do that. You don't do that with your life as a child of God. If we're going to be disciple makers, the very first thing we must have is lips and lives that profess Jesus Christ and then the desire to bring other people to know Christ as Savior. If you have never led somebody to the Lord, let me tell you, you don't know what joy is. Okay? So what do you do after you make disciples, after you lead people to Christ? What's the next part of this process of disciple making? It's marking of disciples. The marking of disciples. Why do you mark a disciple? We're not just supposed to, quote, get people saved and then drop them. Okay, you're going to heaven now. I'm moving on to somebody else. As a church, we're certainly not to do that. There's more to that than true disciple making. We are to baptize people who have professed Jesus Christ as Savior. The Lord commanded that. Amen. Don't ever downplay baptism. Jesus commanded it. How did his public ministry begin? He was baptized, wasn't he? By John the Baptist. Why did he do it? He did it to give an example to us. He didn't do it to be saved. He was God. But he did it to set an example for us. How did Jesus end his public ministry? By commanding baptism. And so baptism is important to the Lord. We should never de-emphasize it. Jesus didn't. Now we understand, we know that baptism does not save. Baptism never saved a single soul. Regardless of what some folks say, it doesn't help you to be saved. What is baptism? It is identification. Amen. By the way, let me explain this because I had this happen in a church I pastored man that I had known for many, many years was a member there. He came to me. He said, look, uh, he said, I was saved after I was baptized. So he knew he did not have scriptural baptism, right? He said, I was saved after I was baptized. He said, but I'm not going to come forward ever for baptism. That's sad. I mean, all he got the first time was just wet, you know, <laughs> 
But baptism is identification. That's what it is. When you're baptized, you're identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if somebody is truly saved, and especially if, you know, if you're a church member and you were saved after you were baptized and became a church member, well, then you, you don't have scriptural baptism. And you're not truly a church member. And the Lord knows the difference. Okay? But if you're truly saved, you ought to want to be publicly identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Say, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm not ashamed to be identified with him. And Romans chapter 6 verse 4 illustrates baptism as a burial. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. People make a lot of fun of us. Some folks do. Because we just believe what the word baptizo means or baptized means. It means to immerse. It means to dunk under. In fact, in the literature of the day, that word baptizo was used to describe a sunken ship. I don't think you can get any more under the water than a sunken ship. The rich man in torments asked the Lord, said, just send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water, you know what word used there? Baptizo or some form of it. Have Lazarus baptized. I think he probably, he didn't want Lazarus just to sprinkle a little water on his finger or just get it. I think he really wanted Lazarus to stick his finger down in the water good and come touch my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. And so we understand then the meaning of the word. You don't bury somebody by laying them on top of the ground and sprinkling a little dirt on them. You put them under. And again, Romans 6, 4 talks about it being a burial. Scriptural baptism follows the scriptural mode listed in the Bible. It's by scriptural authority. It's for a scriptural purpose, and that's to identify with the Lord Jesus. Scriptural baptism is a public testimony of what has happened in our lives. Amen. We've died to the old man. See, you don't bury somebody that's alive, do you? You don't bury somebody that's alive. You bury someone who has died. And so we have died to the old man. That's what baptism says. We are buried then and identified with Christ in that baptism. And then we're raised, what did Romans 6 say? We're raised to do what? To walk in a new life or in newness of life. You know what that says? If you're a child of God and you've been scripturally baptized, your life ought to be different than it was before you were saved. Amen. You ought to be walking in a different life, a different attitude of life. There are people who say, by the way, it doesn't matter how somebody is baptized. Well, I beg your pardon. Satan would love to disfigure the ordinance. Satan would love to change it. He's done a good job of it. But do you realize that every time somebody is baptized, they are demonstrating the gospel of Jesus Christ? Death, burial, resurrection. We look forward to our resurrection. We know we're going to die one day. We'll be buried. We look forward to the resurrection. If we die before the Lord comes back, and we look forward to our being caught up when the Lord does come back. But every time somebody's baptized, they're demonstrating the gospel. And you can't picture the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus by sprinkling or pouring. Somebody will ask, well, what difference does it make? Well, what difference does the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus make? Does it make any difference? I expected a massive yes right there, but I didn't get it. What difference 
does the true gospel make as opposed to a false gospel? Do you realize that when you disfigure baptism, when you change baptism, when you distort baptism, you know what you're doing? You're preaching another gospel. And what does the word of God say about preaching another gospel? Galatians chapter 1 verse 6, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. There's only one gospel. There's only one good news. Jesus came and died and was buried and he rose again and he ascended into heaven. That's the gospel. But he goes on to say, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And we have those in our world today. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. What does the word of God say about perverting or twisting or changing the gospel? May you be accursed for it. Well, I want baptism that is true, that is scriptural, that is according to the word of God. So if we're going to do the king's business, what's the first thing we need to do? I heard a few answers. Thank you. <laughs> what a witness. What a bring people to know Christ as Savior. If we're going to do the king's business, what's the next thing we need to be doing in making disciples? We need to mark them. I can't force anybody and you can't force anybody. Neither should we try to force anybody to be scripturally baptized. But we can give them the message that this is what the Lord has commanded. This is what you do as the first step of obedience to Christ after your salvation and encourage upon them scriptural baptism as strongly as we can. Amen. And then there's the maturing of disciples. See, disciples need to be matured. Babies need to grow up. Babies need to be taught. I was talking to one of Sister Jeannie's granddaughters, Chloe, okay? And she was telling me some of the things she's learning in the first grade. We were learning run, spot, run, you know, or see, spot, run or something in the first grade. And she was telling me some of the things she's learning. And I was amazed that first graders can know some of the things. Some of Aaron's class, they're the things that they expect them to know. I mean, she's already teaching them about they're not called angles anymore. What are they called? Vertices. You know, when we had geometry and things like that in high school, they were called angles. Now they're studying these things in second grade and they're called vertices. So those of us who are older don't even know how to teach young people anymore, I guess. But see, they've got to learn all of these things. They've got to form a basis and then they've got to learn. And that's what we're supposed to be doing with people who come to know Christ as Savior. After bringing the lost to Christ and baptizing them, we're to teach them. Now the word teach here in verse 20 is a different word from verse 19. It means to cause them to learn. See, that's the job of this church, folks, is to teach the Word of God and to cause people to learn what the Word of God says, and I believe most churches fail at that, you know it. I believe there's a lot of churches that just fail at teaching what they should from the Word of God, and it has gotten so bad. Now, you know what we have? We have groups that want to go around to churches, from church to church, and teach them how to disciple people. Folks, that's your pastor's job. That's the church's job. And if your pastor's not doing his job, get rid of him. If the church is not doing her job, the Lord will take care of her also. 
We're not to dip them and drop them. You know, that's what some churches do. Got them baptized, got them on the church roll. Hey, do the best you can now. No. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Much of modern evangelism stops short of the Great Commission. Some would go out and win the lost and say, look what we've done. There's not much difference between doing that and then having a child and abandoning that child. Amen. You get it? Just because you've led somebody to the Lord doesn't mean the job is over. You know what churches count today? They count decisions. Pastor go away and preach a revival. They come back and say, we had four decisions, 14 decisions, 40 decisions, whatever. Well, I guess that's good. But you know what they counted in the New Testament? They counted disciples, not just decisions. Listen to Acts chapter 1, verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. 120 disciples, 120 that wanted to be just like their Lord, wanted to be just like their master. You have not made a disciple until that individual is willing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Do what he says. You know how to find out if you've really made a disciple? Oh, you don't? Okay, I'll tell you. Come back in a year or two or three and see if they're still there. You know. These folks that come in and they stay about six months and go out and they say they were saved. Well, maybe they were. Hope they were, but they're not disciples. Amen. A disciple stays. A disciple follows his Lord. False disciples get bored. False disciples get tired. False disciples get their feelings hurt. False disciples, when things don't go their way, say, I'm ready to go somewhere else. I'm ready to leave. Amen. So come back in a few years and see if they're still there. Then you've made a disciple. Disciple making is more than witnessing and it's more than baptizing. It is teaching. We are to evangelize, enlist, and we are to edify. And that word edify means to build up, just like you'd build a house up. It is my desire, and I hope it's happening. I hope it, it's going this way. It is my desire that every bit of my preaching and every bit of my teaching is to build up this church solidly on the Word of God so even if there are false folks who come in and want to try to change what we believe, we'll say, no, it's not what the Word of God says. Amen. Somebody starts to tell you something, look at them and say, chapter and verse. Give me the name of the book, give me the chapter, give me the verse. If that's what you really believe, we'll look it up and we'll see what it says. We're to be, how about this? We're to be makers of disciple makers. Amen. What do you mean? We're to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. You say, is that scripture? Well, just look over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And the apostle Paul's writing this young preacher, and he says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Amen. We're not to say, oh, this is good stuff. I'm going to keep it to myself. Each week I hand out four, five, or six copies of the outline that I'm preaching from. I'll hand out more if more are wanted. The point is this. This is God's word. I don't have an exclusive right to it, all right? Amen. And I'm supposed to share it and I'm supposed to spread it. 
You say, but you work to get all that together. That's okay. But it's for you. That we will learn that we will grow together as a church and as children of God. See, true disciple making is a self-perpetuating activity. Do you realize, I'm going to take the time to do this. I'll make it, take it, something. Remember the end of the book of Joshua where Joshua said, choose today who you're going to serve, but it's for me and my house will serve the Lord. And all of that generation said, we're going to serve God. And Joshua said, you can't. But they said, we're going to. Well, you get out of Joshua and you get over into the book of Judges. And you know what you read in the second chapter of Judges? Now, that Joshua's generation has, has died off now. And it says, there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, neither the things that he had done in Israel. You know what happened? Joshua's generation didn't teach the next generation the way they should. And listen, if we're not teaching, what's the generation that's coming after us? I don't see a lot of them in here. But if we do not teach them, folks, this church will die or will go into error. Scriptural stability and, and being true to the Word of God is one generation deep. We need another generation to come in behind us and we need to be finding them and leading them to the Lord and teaching them and training them. What are we to teach all of Christ's commands? Teaching them to observe or to do everything that Christ has commanded. Teach newly saved people how to be obedient to Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. That means a faithful life. That means pure living. That means living for the Lord daily before them, not just, not just say it. You ever had somebody say, do as I say and not as I do? That's a lot of church teaching, isn't it? Well, I do as I say. <laughs> don't watch me and don't do as I do, but do as I say. No. We're to teach and we're to live what we teach. And it means that every church member this ought to be the priority of their lives as members of the church is bringing people to Christ and maturing people to Christ after we mark them by scriptural baptism. But we can't do the maturing. We can't do the teaching if it's not there in our own lives. We're not to leave out anything. And folks, we're not doing the job if we're not following what the Lord said we're to do. Teaching them to observe or to do all things whatsoever I've commanded you. The Great Commission is preceded by the promise of Christ's power. All power, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. And it is followed by the promise of his presence. Lo, I'm with you always. And right in between those two is this instruction to make disciples. His power goes before us. His presence goes with us. His authority is behind us. Christ is within us. The task is before us. We have no reason, folks not to go. Amen. Daniel fainted and was sick certain days after the vision. He was astonished after the vision. But what did he say he did? I rose and did the king's business. We may not understand every aspect of the last days. We may not be able to make sense of some of the things that are going on. But folks, what we need to know is there are lost people that need to be witnessed to there are people that we know, we may go to school with them, we may work with them, we may, they may be our neighbors, we may just run into them, that if they don't accept Christ as Savior, they're going to go through the tribulation, they're going to die and go to hell. 
And they'll save people who need to be scripturally baptized. Like the man I told you about. Be identified with the Lord. And there are saved scripturally baptized people who need to be taught how to do what Jesus said to do. Amen. Brother Rick gave me a book. I'm going to look through it that he had had from years ago something about uh, what has to do with evangelism, part of it, just from what I looked at. And there's one interesting section I really want to look at in it is why people don't want to do what God said to do. Why don't people want to witness? I mean, very quickly, I'm going to close the message in just a moment. But do you believe, and answer with an amen if you believe it, do you believe that everybody's born separated from God by sin? Amen. Now, I'm not just asking this to try to get a lot of amens, all right? Do you believe that everybody who dies in that condition is going to go to hell? Amen. Boy, y'all not very enthusiastic about it, are you? Do you believe that Jesus came to this earth born of a virgin and is the only begotten Son of God? Do you believe he went to the cross and died there as a sacrifice for sin? Okay, thank you. Do you believe all those lost people we know need Christ as Savior? Amen. The Lord's churches have been given a job to do. We're not going to be found fully obedient. We're not going to be found fully faithful to the Lord until we're doing what Christ has commanded us to do. We may pity those folks. We may feel so bad for them. But folks... The Lord's told us to go to them, not wait for them to come to us. The ability of a church to do the work set before us is dependent upon one group. You know who that group is? People. People who are members of the church. Whether this church obeys the Lord in making disciples or doesn't obey the Lord in making disciples is going to be upon each and every one of us. And we don't need to wait for the preacher to preach a rousing message on soul winning to drive us out. Just the fact that the Lord said, do it. Folks, that's enough. And that's what we're to be doing as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ.